Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Becky. And this is How to Not Get Killed. almost forgot for a second there how we like intro i know i was like oh what am i supposed <laughs> to do? Oh, i was just right. like i'm supposed to say my name yeah <laughs> i well, that's why i was looking at you like oh shit what's what's the name of this again what do we do <laughs> when you do something a million times and then one day you just, you just forget, forget. Yeah. yeah it happens it does happen yes you know what i have actually happened quite a bit so so i knit you know you know that so oh you do yeah surprise oh this no is way. one of my cashmere sweaters by the way oh i was actually no i'm not even just being a dick like i was gonna compliment you on it earlier and i'm not i'm not just coming in like, just like oh yeah it's yeah. A great sweater. no i meant to say it earlier it's so cute it's very soft it's very soft yeah. but so so yeah i knit for anyone that doesn't know sometimes i have this thing where i'll be falling asleep and like obviously we know my gummies kicked in full <laughs> maximum capacity <laughs> at this best. point but so i'll just be laying there and sometimes for all of my knitting friends this is just you know i'm sure this has happened but i'll be like oh, how do i cast on and then I'll just like sit there and like try to like close my eyes and in my head like do the motion. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> to convince yourself that you've remembered. Yeah. And then I'm it. just like, oh, I completely forgot how to knit. <laughs> but I'm like in bed trying to sleep, just like for some reason stressing about forgetting how to knit. <laughs> it's just like, it's so stupid. Oh, that's that's, just that's it. amazing. I, to me, I was like, wait, I forget how to do this. I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. So you must have must do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know how to do And then I was like, no, of course I know how to do this. Like, <laughs> of course I know how to walk. <laughs> like, but yeah, I have it with like really stupid stuff. How come every time we like start recording, one of the animals begs for our attention in some kind of way? Because we, is... we've now not stopped giving them attention. Yeah. Not like we were giving him attention before, but like now he's aware. Yeah. That he it. can't have our attention. Yeah. He's pissed. And he wants it. He's on strike. <laughs> it's just ridiculous he is he's holding a little sign yeah <laughs> it says doggy on strike doggy on strike <laughs> oh i i don't know if we have any updates no i don't think so um yeah i like i can't i'm sure like there's probably an update we're supposed to be doing and everyone's like you forgot to talk about this but yeah probably but i just yeah i don't we know suck. I, yeah <laughs> lately my brain has literally just been like mushroom soup it's not been mushroom <laughs> it's it I isn't like intelligent also, made me hungry yeah well i'm making you mushroom gnocchi I love oh, mushrooms and then i got so many snackies for us it's gonna be so good <laughs> i can't wait I'm so- oh. okay All right. we're gonna pause so we can go eat no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back guys <laughs> comes oh. back into like chewing yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure everyone loves it. Oh, oh, he's going to be so mad. <laughs> he did say, though, that he finally found, like, the right setting to kind of essentially auto remote mouth noises. <laughs> no way. Which is a lot of them. Oh, man. <laughs> we should just, like, honestly, we should screw with him one time and be like, oh, we recorded an entire episode while we were, like, eating, like, Mr. Noodles or something. Like, yeah. something really creamy and sticky. We like, just, like, ran out of time and we just had to eat at the same yeah, time. So, like, fettuccine. Yeah. <laughs> be like, <gasps> he'd be, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> A joke though yeah. we would never do that oh i i do it <laughs> okay all right all right let's do this let's do this all right well <laughs> i'm uh <laughs> sorry becky's just waving at her dog in his bed and it's just like he's doing the gross mouth noises yes now. he is oscar quit it <laughs> okay continue we're good <laughs> so uh t- so we're gonna we're including this as part of the bleeding london series mm-hmm. um because 
it's it didn't actually take place in London, but it is a catalyst for and I will discuss this later. Um, a bit of it, police and the OPP started to operate into the 60s and 70s in London and the surrounding area. And why there was maybe an air of conservativeness to investigating. And and this this case just had a real impact on the area, even though it didn't take place in London. Actually, when the last case that we did, which was uh, Russell Johnson from the Bleeding London series, I was talking to my dad about it. Because I, my dad would have been maybe 13 or 14, like around the time he was arrested. And so I was like, did you ever hear about this? Do you ever hear about, you know, the public service announcements or something like that, where they're like, there's a balcony intruder. Like, oh, you know, I'm just like, you were, you lived in London at this time. Did did that sound familiar? And he's like, it kind of sounds familiar, I guess. But then he mentioned this case. He says, I do remember the Stephen Truscott case. I do remember that happening, not happening because he wasn't alive when it happened. But he says, I do remember that ongoing topic so which obviously we'll get into so that kind of i i was probably going to do this one next anyways because it is sort of the earliest case to take place that isn't one of these known serial killers that i've covered in london that were caught and arrested yeah now we're gonna sort of get into a lot of the unsolved ones Woo! and this one this one's solved though right technically okay yeah okay so this case is it so everyone in the area our parents age especially knows the name Stephen Truscott because he was the one accused in this case okay okay so he's the name often associated with Lynn Harper who is the victim of this case okay and it took place in 1959 so that's why I'm saying this is one of the earliest ones that kind of had an impact on a lot of the other ones I'm gonna cover okay so in 1959, Lynn Harper was a 12-year-old girl who lived in Clinton, Ontario. Okay. So that's about an hour, just under under an hour away from London. So it is close. It's but I don't I don't know actually if it's part of London's like census metropolitan area. I don't think so. But I yeah, don't yeah. think it is. That's why I'm like I don't think it's technically included in in the the murder cases that Mike yeah. Barnfield talks about a lot. But it was close enough that everybody heard about it. Yeah. She was, uh, Lynn Harbour was well known in her local community of 3,000 people in Clinton at the time. So it was not a lot of people. And she was an active member of her local church. She loved the outdoors. And on the evening of June 9th, 1959, Lynn was seen sitting on the crossbars of 14-year-old Stephen Truscott's bike, whom Lynn knew from school and from Sunday school. So they were friends. Mm -hmm. According to Stephen, he dropped Lynn off at the corner of County Road and Highway 8, where he saw her get into get into an unfamiliar vehicle. She didn't return home that night, and at 11.20 p.m., her parents called the police, and a search was initiated. Her hmm. body wasn't found until two days later in an area next to the county road. She had been sexually assaulted and was strangled with her own blouse. Oh, no. Yeah. That's really sad. So sad. One of 3,000 people. Like, so. that's not a lot. She was a yeah. 12-year-old girl. And I that's, mean, everyone was yeah. horrified by this. Yeah. So the entire community was shook, to say the least. Really hard for them to wrap their heads around the idea of some strange predator coming into their quaint little town and doing something this and horrible fleeing, yeah. to an innocent child. Yeah. So the narrative the police eventually wove together 
is that Stephen Trescott didn't drop Lynn off at the corner of County Road and Highway 8, but instead took her, assaulted her, strangled her, and then dumped her body in a nearby wood later discovered. Within a matter of hours, just after 7 p.m. on June 12th, so this was three days after Lynn had last been seen, Stephen was arrested and charged with capital murder. He's 14? 14, yeah. So this would have been, capital murder would have been what is now first degree murder today. Yeah. And if convicted, despite his age at this time, that would have meant capital punishment, which would have yeah, been death by hanging in 1950. Yeah, I was going to say we had the death penalty back then. Yeah, up until when did it get abolished? I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's like leading up to 1970, but I don't think it's quite that uh, late. Yeah. You, Late 60s, I'm gonna maybe. look, but yeah, you you keep yeah keep going. Yeah, I'm so check. so yeah. So if he was convicted of capital murder, even at 14, you, the the punishment was death by hanging. Hmm. So during the trial, which took place over two weeks in Godridge, Ontario, the police and the prosecution almost ensured conviction. Okay. And we have heard these things before in many many cases. But they cherry-picked their witness statements. They ignored witness statements that directly contradicted the prosecution's theory. And Lynn's parents themselves speculated that Lynn might have been trying to hitchhike to her grandmother's house that day. But this info wasn't... uh, And this info was sent out on the wire, like on the police wire, I guess. Okay. When they called the police and they were like, she might have been hitchhiking to her grandmother's house. Like, that might be good for you guys to know. Um, but it was directly ignored as a possibility and not provided to Stephen's defense attorney. And at the time, I don't know exactly the legalities of it all, but basically like the defense attorney was only had access to what the police gave them and what the prosecution gave them. Right. Yeah. So they just weren't given that. Hmm. But her own parents were saying that like, well, she could have been hitchhiking and Stephen saying, I saw her get into a car. Yeah. So that's a big kind of thing. Exactly. One of the main pieces of, pieces of evidence used in the trial was an assertion that the time of death determined that Lynn must have been with Stephen when she died based on witness accounts. Okay. The time of death was uh, estimated or the estimate was based almost entirely on examination of gastric contents. That's okay. That's not that's not a strong no estimation. no and i think we discussed that in the john benet ramsey case about yeah. the pineapple theory where we're like gastric analysis is really unreliable it's it's it can be reliable but secondhand input really like it's not not as like a determining yeah thing. it's yeah. not like this is the fact and we'll also get 1976 into- is when canada abolished the death oh, penalty. okay was that late yeah so wow. i just wanted right. to chime in so yeah and there is a little bit more about that later but okay. that was basically what they were they're basing the examination of the the gastric contents basically meant that they were determining the time of death as this and that was written in stone so the crown's timeline stated that Lynn was with Stephen up until 8 p.m. based on witness accounts mm-hmm. therefore if she died before 8 p.m. it must it, it must, must be have been Steve- Stephen that that murdered her yeah. if she died after 8 p.m. then it couldn't have been him that was their theory Dr. Penniston, the coroner who acted as an expert witness for the prosecution, stated that Lynn died between 7 and 7.45 p.m. Based, 
again, heavily on these gastric content analysis things. So that's, that's what they were using in court. Yeah. Steven was tried as an adult. They, his defense attorney obviously, obviously tried to fight that, but they decided to try him as an adult at 14. That's insane. Yeah. And he was convicted of capital murder on September 30th, 1959. And I will remind you, this trial only took two weeks. That's, whoa, that's quick. Yeah. I know things were not as drawn out. Like the further you go back in history, obviously, the things quicker, are quicker, like, yeah. whatever. But that's still, I think that was still short for the time. It feels short. I it don't know. It feels really short to me. Especially for a 14 year old when you're debating whether or not you should hang them. Like that's just really, well, that you should take a little longer to think about. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I just, you know, as an unbiased you standpoint. you really sure? You really want to be sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah. That's just like, oh, whoopsie. Whoops. Got the wrong guy. Like, it's you know, okay, when they though. used to like drown witches and stuff and they're like, oh, well, if yeah. you if you don't drown, then you're a witch and then they burn you alive. Yeah. And then if you do drown, they're like, oh, shit, I guess she wasn't I a witch. I guess she wasn't a witch. Too bad. <laughs> like they just did it's that like, well, to like no, so just, many people. I know. Oh, <laughs> one day we're going to like cover all oh, of it. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We just, uh, let's get it. I love like oh, just the occult stuff and let's do this. Yeah. Let's do but it. Stephen Trescott yes. was not a witch. So no, we're, this is different. The jury uh, actually apparently asked the judge for leniency in sentencing, which is kind of strange. Like for a jury to say, we, we're convicting you. You're, we think you're guilty. But to the judge, hey, but could you just be lenient with him, though? I think probably implies Age. that they were maybe unsure or that they or that he was so young that they were like. I think both. I, I think. it. Yeah, I think it could imply doubt. Yeah. For sure, on behalf of the jury, or they could have been really certain, but like I, I mean, we. But they were, or but maybe they were like, we don't th- think he deserves to die by hanging, though. Yeah, well, because like we have seen it in the past, where like, not that like killing someone is a oopsie, because like that's a pretty big fucking oopsie, but like, I, you're fourteen, yeah, like you that I feel like yeah, that is something you could learn from when you're fourteen, if and. I mean, sort if of correct he, if, if handled he, well yeah like if, if this he did is actually it. what happened yeah maybe it's it's hard to say because i don't know you never hear those stories to be honest like we always yeah. hear about the serial killers who like did this at 14 and then like went on to kill a bunch of more people yeah so it's hard to say it is but, but 14 i think it's just it's too young yeah it's too young it's yeah because we've talked about the death penalty before and it's like yeah there's what is it one in nine people on death row or innocent or something like that yeah so if you're willing to risk that with a 14 year old person i don't know that's that's a big risk to me yeah and well like in my my standpoint it's just like 14 like let's say he did do it let's just say for sake of argument here like what i mean by like he could have learned from it is like 14 you don't have all of your like logic and cognition yet like no. that doesn't happen until later like that's what i mean like there was still room for improvement yeah. if he had done it i don't know yeah that, we, yeah i, I want to hear <laughs> we, i will tell you i, I want to hear <laughs> tell me the judge i guess at the time didn't have any sort of choice in sentencing i guess if you, if mm. the jury convicts you of capital murder you just the get the only choice is capital punishment so he was like my hands are tied like you guys convicted him so it's death by hanging but uh well 
Stephen spent four months in a cell thinking he was going to be hanged before his 15th birthday. Oh, my God. But the government stepped in and basically for I'm assuming for the judge, because I guess his hands were tied. But the government stepped in and said, you're not going to hang this boy. We're just going to convert it to life in prison. Okay. And at the time, life in prison didn't really mean life in prison, as we've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, But Stephen worked his way through the appeal process to which all of his appeals were denied all the way up to the Ontario Court of Appeal in 1960. In 1966, a journalist named Isabelle Labordet released a book called The Trial of Stephen Truscott, which was basically the first piece of media to publicly raise the question about whether Stephen was wrongfully convicted. Okay. The book started a national debate, I think because a lot of people were maybe thinking about this before her book came out, but didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Taboo. I think it sounds like people didn't even want to say Stephen Truscott's name. I think it was just a taboo subject because it was so horrific all around that this happened to this little girl and that they believed this 14 year old boy did this. I think it was all just like a scary situation. Forget about it. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So she was the first person to publicly bring this up and it sparked a big debate because I think this was sort of simmering in a lot of people's subconscious of, is it possible that he didn't do this though? So the book basically covered, I guess, what Isabel Le Bourdet thought was the mishandling of the Truscott case, mm-hmm. as well as um, I think the criminal justice system in itself. I, I haven't read the book, but- yeah. I looked it up. It was like $70 on Amazon. That's and I was expensive. Like, I'm poor. I've said this before, guys. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I buy a lot of books, yeah. you know, like most of them are under $30. I mean, I'm so like when I see one that's like from buying 70 books. or $80, I'm like, I could buy like four books for that though. <laughs> um, and it, it it came out in 1966. I think it's probably a really important piece of this case to yeah. read and I'm really interested in it. But there's a lot more that's happened after that. Yeah. That I think um, can kind of acknowledge what she probably initiated in her book yeah which is which is great that she did this because it got it got a lot of people talking it got the judge charge of the case really upset <laughs> so justice ronald ferguson who who was the one who presided over the trescott case petitioned the ontario attorney general and prime minister pierre trudeau who was prime minister at the time that's our current prime minister's dad yeah um, to have Isabel Laborde arrested for public mischief. Oh no, she was not arrested. Yeah, yeah, but he <laughs> was like assume. so pissed because I, I think her book coming out and whatever it said in there, people were like, "Yo, she raises some really good points, and yeah. if she's right, you, you Justice Ronald Ferguson, and you, the OPP and the police and everyone involved in this case, fucked screwed up. this up yeah. hard." So I think he was like pissed and he's like, arrest her. And they were like, we can't. No. <laughs> I think if I'm ever going to get arrested for anything, I really want it to be for public mischief. Public mischief. <laughs> like yes. I just feel like like if I ever get arrested and someone asks me, I like I will happily with a smile on my face be like, yeah, it was for public mischief. Public mischief. <laughs> like I just feel like it's just like like a fun legal way of saying like, I'm a shithead. <laughs> I'm a shit disturber. I, yeah. I, I like just to stir the pot. Really stirred the pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please yeah. somebody arrest me for that. <laughs> okay, you already your first guy. Yeah. I'm only have... if it's public mischief though. She just only wants that on her record. Public mischief. It's just too good. <laughs> and then and then I can go and be like mischief managed. 
<gasps> oh, mm-hmm. good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Luke's going to like that one. I know. I, everyone's going to like that I'm going to convince him to. No, but like he doesn't listen to our podcast. So I'm going to be like, you should. How dare he? I know. I know. <laughs> he doesn't like, listen to any podcast. So yeah. I think, I mean, we can't be like that's that offended. That's true. If I know. I'm always. To a podcast, it would be this one. Yes, but he fair. just. But I'm gonna tell him. I'll be I, like, listen to this episode. Fast forward to this part. Just this part, and then He's you can stop love, listening. Love perfect. You. He already does love me. I know. Well, at I least know. he has to. He does. <laughs> he okay, no does to me. He has no choice. <laughs> He's stuck with me. <laughs> wow, Haley, oh just interrupt gosh. everything. <sighs> Catch my breath. <laughs> Drew's gonna love editing that deep <laughs> breath out. <laughs> <sighs> So she was not arrested for public mischief. Okay. I don't think she would have been as excited about it as you. No, because that actually would ruin your fucking life. Yeah. (laughs) The book, though, was the direct cause for the case being referred to the Supreme Court of Canada for review. So it sparked enough debate that someone sent it up to the Supreme Court and was like, maybe you should look over this case. Yeah. The Supreme Court denied the case be retried. Eight out of the nine judges agreed with the original verdict. Despite exculpatory evidence, which I had to I look, like that word. I had to look it up, but like it's a great word. Um, basically, exculpatory evidence is evidence that would absolve the accused of the crime. So if you have exculpatory evidence, it means that you have definitive evidence. Yeah. That someone didn't do this crime. Oh, fuck yeah. So despite it's exculpatory evidence that was presented in the book from various witnesses that hadn't been, like I said, included in the trial. Yeah. Because they were selective of which people were allowed to speak on this Mm -hmm. so on october 21st 1969 stephen truscott was released from prison on parole good so he was well not parole part like he should just be released but okay yeah yeah so that was his sentence like he served his sentence for the murder of lynn harper yeah um he relocated and changed his name obviously because Obviously, everybody knew his. My dad wasn't even born at the time, and he knows Stephen yeah. Truscott's name. Like yeah. everybody knew who this guy was, and most people believed he murdered a twelve-year-old girl yeah. and sexually assaulted her. Well, yeah, that's trial by media for you, or I yeah. guess not media by word, same same thing. Word of mouth, word of mouth. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trial I mean, by whisper. I'm like, what, what is what was what's you know the old timey terms for <laughs> <Yeah>. this? <laughs> trial by typewriter, <laughs> <laughs> by like pigeon carrier. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, he, I, I assume he had no other choice. So he changed his name. He moved, he moved away and he started a new life. He got married. He had two children, but I think it's safe to say that he probably spent his whole life with his conviction weighing heavily on him. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it would be really difficult to walk around, even if you changed your name and no one knows who you are to know that there are people out there who believe that you did did this. Yeah. So in 1997, he put himself back into the public spotlight and began advocating for his innocence. Mm. A prominent Canadian defense attorney named James Lockyer, who is also the founding director of the Association in Defense of the Wrongfully Convicted. I think it's kind of like our version of the Innocence Project. I don't know if we have a chapter of the Innocence Project in Canada. I don't know. If not, I think this is our version of it. Okay. So he's the director of that, and he and he agreed to take on Stephen's case in 1997. Mm-hmm. One of the first things they did was take a sample of Stephen's DNA because DNA testing had come a long way in the 38 years since his conviction. He was yeah. convicted in 1959. Yeah. That's a long time ago. 
That's a long time. I'm surprised they even knew what DNA was in 1959. Yeah, I'm surprised dinosaurs weren't still like, walking around. <laughs> it just sounds so long ago to me. It's like it's like not that long ago, but it's it also not, is like eons ago. <laughs> in terms of like forensic, forensic science. science. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. You know that you. meme where it's like the two blue people that are like connecting by their brain? <laughs> that was us right now. <laughs> but yes, no, we, in, we're both right. In yes. terms of forensic science, that we're is both right. That is e- eons ago. Yeah. So Fuck. he was like, we're going to take a sample of your DNA. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> in 2000, CBC actually aired an episode of The Fifth Estate in which Stephen asserted his, his innocence and they covered new evidence that was <laughs> that was presented in this documentary. With forensic evidence having progressed a lot, it was clear that the time of death was nothing more than just a blind guess. And so oh, really? the prosecution <laughs> bended to fit into their timeline. That's so shocking to hear. I'm really surprised right now. Mm-hmm. That was like the most shocking thing. Yeah. Yeah. That they just, they just, they were like mm, 7.45. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Give or take a couple of hours. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just, I mean... It's upsetting because someone's life was changed because of this. Yeah. But at the same time, part of me feels like I don't think it's right that they excluded evidence, but gastric analysis and things like that. I'm not surprised they leaned on that. Yeah. That probably felt like cutting edge science back then. Yeah. Fair. And and I feel like some things we have now where we're like, I don't even know, like, um, skin cell analysis or hair analysis yeah. or something where something that seems more legitimate. I know hair analysis isn't that isn't like the most legitimate DNA na- analysis, but something yeah. that seems like rock hard evidence could in 50 years be like, we're like, we look back on it and we're like, Oh my God, that's so stupid. That yeah, we those believe idiots. That. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I understand why they weighed so heavily on that for the timeline. Probably felt accurate. But, I, but then when you find out that there were witnesses that disrupt the timeline that they created, that's where they went wrong. For yeah. Me. That's where you deliberately ignored evidence that could have. Yeah. Again, absolved Stephen of this in the first place. Yes. It just is beyond me. But. um, So with new technologies, they were able to determine that Lynn's time of death was much later than the prosecution argued it had been, meaning she was not with Stephen when she died. Okay. So in November 2001, Stephen and his lawyers applied to the federal minister of justice for a review of his case on the grounds that the conviction was a miscarriage of justice, which is different than an appeal. So he had exhausted all of his appeals. Yeah. But his lawyer said, if we apply for it being a miscarriage of justice, we can we can apply for that. And that's a different avenue we can take. Okay. Yeah. I don't know all of the ins and outs of the legal. You don't. You don't have the textbook memorized. But that's that's just something I felt it was important to say because it, earlier it yeah. said he had exhausted all of his appeals. So this was different than an appeal. So three months later in January 2002, the Minister of Justice ordered an investigation into the trial and the Honorable Justice Fred Kaufman was appointed to review the case, mm-hmm. which included historical records plus a significant amount of fresh evidence, including testimony from over 20 witnesses, most of them not included in the original trial. That's a lot of witnesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So they were trying to obviously look at the whole picture, yeah. not just this one side. Yeah. 
that we know sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes police and prosecution can narrow in on. Yeah, and get excited about one story and stick. And ignore everything else. So yeah. I think they were just trying to look at everything. In April 2000, Justice Kaufman delivered a report of over 700 pages wow. in which he concluded, quote, there was clearly a reasonable bias for miscarriage or sorry, but not bias. There was clearly a reasonable basis for concluding that a miscarriage of justice likely occurred, mm -hmm. end quote. The report highlights that since 1959, it has been determined in the field of forensic science that stomach content analysis and levels of rigor mortis are highly unreliable in determining time of death, which is what the prosecution relied on. Mm -hmm. Justice Kaufman recommended the case be referred to the Ontario Court of Appeal, to which the Minister of Justice did on October 28th, 2004. Okay. So now we fast forward a year and a half to June 19th, 2006. So, I mean, obviously this stuff takes a lot of time. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. The Ontario Court of Appeal began a three-week hearing based on, new on the new evidence that had been presented. A new expert witness had deemed Dr. Penniston's autopsy scientifically invalid which is the autopsy that stated her time of death being 745. Yeah. And that the evidence actually suggested a time of death during the day or evening of June 10th, which the was the following next day. day. Yeah. Yes. So Stephen dropped her off around eight or whenever yeah. on June 9th. Yeah. And they were saying, well, we're determining her time of death between seven and 745, but it was actually the next day or the next evening, evening, almost 24 hours later. Jeez. Yeah. So yeah. that's way off base. Like way. you're not even missing it by a couple of hours. You're missing it maybe by a whole day. Yeah. That's like that is, that's some pretty damning, you know. Yeah. And that was yeah. like the piece of evidence in the case that like nailed well, clearly, it home. <laughs> that they were like, wrong. I don't think they had anything yeah. else because they just didn't have anything no. else. So, yeah. There was also two reports by Dr. Penniston that indicated different times of death that were not included as evidence in the original trial. So even their expert... Oh Sorry. my gosh, even Oscar's Augie. upset about this. Yeah. No, Augie's at the door. Oscar's oh. pissed. It's chaos. There's too many dogs. No, Oscar. <laughs> There's about to be like a battle royale over here. Well, Oscar's like mid-nap and... Nope. So their original expert witness, Dr. Penniston, actually made multiple, I guess guesses at the time of death yeah, like so, that's yeah. probably the most yeah. accurate term for what he guesses. was doing multiple punches <laughs> yeah multiple like reports had different times of death so i'm wondering if he was like i think it based on the if i average them out like based on the stomach content analysis it's 7 to 745 but based on maybe something else mm -hmm. he it could be later yeah. but they didn't include those yeah. Again, they didn't give them to Stephen's they defense attorney. They didn't include witnesses. They didn't include anything. They so. didn't include it in the trial. So they just included the one that fit their timeline. Mm -hmm. On August 28, 2007, the Ontario Court of Appeal unanimously ruled that the original verdict was a miscarriage of justice and that Stephen should be acquitted. Good. Stephen uh, asked to be declared innocent. Like he asked for an exoneration, but they refused that they acquitted him. So basically it just means that it's like wiped from your slate. Right. Yeah. Like I don't think, yeah, I don't think he would, it would be like he has a criminal record anymore, but basically what it means is that the trial was mishandled and there was enough reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. 
that he sh- shouldn't have been convicted. So there, yeah. but they were like, we don't have enough evidence to definitively say you didn't do this, but we have like, we can't prove that you we, did it or sorry. Yeah. We can't prove that you did it, but there's enough evidence, evidence to say that the, the trial might. was definitely mishandled. Yeah. And that it, you know, but it's, it's so far gone. I don't think that they were like, it's not worth a retrial. Yeah. And there's enough evidence in his favor that he wouldn't, if he was retried again, he would be declared innocent or he wouldn't be convicted yeah. again. So they're sort of just like, we're going to acquit you, which I mean, I would be frustrated if I was Steven, if I was seeking a Innocence, full exoneration yeah. and they were like, we're just going to acquit you. But I guess in the public eye to a lot of people, yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah. Like if you say to someone who who doesn't really know a lot about the legal system, oh, well, he was. He, yeah. And it's like, well, no, people like, are like, OK, well, I guess he he, got, he like they fixed it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like most people would just assume that's the same thing as being exonerated. But yeah, but it is technically different. But he did receive six and a half million in compensation. Oh, that's actually really good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's it doesn't it doesn't it, change it the never, fact that yeah. he served so nine many years, year, nine, yeah. ten years in prison. And he had to get out and then change his name and like start a new life. And then like continue fighting for like the like, I don't know, however many years. It was like from like 1990 something until like 2007 that it happened. Like, like the acquittal, oh, I mean. Oh, like, yeah. The whole process. So it's just like, yeah, a whole like that's s- 10 years. So yeah. your whole your whole life was made up of prison, hiding from what you were in prison yeah. for and, and then, then fighting, fighting to overturn it. You know, yeah. that's. That's that not sucks. a life. Money like, doesn't fix that. No. But I'm glad he got something. Something. Because he deserved something for that bullshit. Yeah. Um, his wife apparently also received $100,000 for lost income. So I was like, okay. I don't know how that. But maybe, but yeah, maybe, maybe it's lost she, income over the 10 years that they needed to do this. Yeah. Or, maybe she like helped. Like, or maybe, so, she, yeah. maybe she couldn't get a job because they were like, it's you were, mar- you were married to possible. Stephen Trescott. I, I don't could know. I really like, see that because if people, like people do cling to like their standpoints, obviously like, yes, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that all the time. For I sure. fucking cling There's to what I believe. There's probably still people yeah. out there that believe that he did it. Yeah, but so it's like, it, it just takes one person to be like, oh no, you're married to that guy that you I'm, know, not gonna, I'm not going to hire you. So yeah. it could have been hard or yeah, she like worked like alongside him to like get yeah. this acquittal to happen that she, maybe she didn't have time for work. And, yeah. Well, what that tells me is that she, they had enough evidence to justify that was, was also seriously affected impacted. by this mm-hmm. which how could it not be how could it not be yeah but the saddest part about this entire thing is that the case of the murder of lynn harper officially became an unsolved homicide 48 years after her death and what's really scary is that like someone's walking around free or possibly dead now but and we just don't have those answers. Like, And it's almost 50 years later that this happened. Yeah. So now, well, na- right now we're way beyond 50 years, but at that point, it's, it's such a cold case. You've lost all leads, all traces, all everything, trails like, of everything. Like you said, even if they figure out who did it, they're probably dead. Yeah. Cause like, I'm going <sighs> to assume that like most members, it like might her parents are probably dead. Yeah. So they're not going to get get to see that justice and she doesn't get that justice like no. she doesn't get to rest easy like it's so it, we just know how difficult the more time goes on the yeah. less likely it is going to be solved and i i'm not that pessimistic like i said we yeah. talked about john benet ramsey and i'm like i do believe it's going to be solved i think 25 so. In our years lifetime. on yeah i think it will be solved i think it's very possible that the lynn harper murder could be solved but 
it's unlikely. It would take someone dedicating their life to solving that. Yeah. Which John Benet Ramsey had a lot of publicity and a lot of people are tied to that. Yeah. But if you don't have that kind of publicity, yeah. there might not be people in the woodwork trying to like behind the scenes trying to solve this murder for, for people that are long gone. Even with that, it's still sometimes like next to impossible because like I feel like even with like the John Bonet, like it's just it does have the momentum. Like there's so mm-hmm. many documentaries, there's so many people talking about it that like Yes. And that puts pressure on the police forces and then that further justifies using their resources. Whereas something like this, it's really hard over yeah. 50 years on to justify police resources for something that is such a long shot. Yeah. And I hate to say that, but it's it's just it's it is. It is. And it's that's because of sad. their actions back then, people now yeah. are having to pay for it. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. And and I think it it's mentioned somewhere where like the attorney general or the district attorney or something like made a formal apology to Stephen, but everybody in law enforcement and in the justice system now wasn't involved yeah. back then. So it's kind of it's hard. It's sort of like some dude had to stand up and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed by what happened happened. and what that the police system did this to you and the justice system. But like no one, no one here today did that though. Yeah. So it's sort of like, even those people didn't have to face that. Yeah. And, and apologize for it or. Yeah. Make amends. Like that's the shitty thing about time. Is it like really drives a wedge and shit like this? Yeah. So Michael Arntfield basically covers this at the beginning of Murder City and talks about how the investigation of the murder of Lynn Harper had its doubters in the police force Mm -hmm. long before Isabel Laborde released her book in 1966. It sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like there were people that worked in the police force that were iffy about the way everything went down. And okay. I feel like knowing now what went down, how could you not be? Yeah. If you worked in a police force or in an office or in the justice system in any capacity and you were involved in this case and you saw things or you heard things or you knew that they were ignoring witnesses or you like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there there had to have been people that be. knew about that. Yeah. And that just were like, OK, it's not my not my case. I got to stay out of I it. I have to stay out of it. I'm not yep. going to say anything. But then you go on and you just know about that and stuff. You're like, ah, oh, this doesn't you feel know. right. Yeah. yeah like that it just you. didn't sit right with you. It sounds like there was quite a few people that felt that way. Good. And so he feels like it created a, and I'm going to quote him on this. It created a defeatist undercurrent within the OPP and other police agencies in Ontario as early as 1960 mm-hmm. and helped create a climate of investigatory reticence and tentativeness within the upper police ranks. Okay. M- meaning that police opted for a more, more reserved and restrained attitude toward the investigative process, which had considerable consequences for London and its census metropolitan area in the coming decades. Okay. So that's what he's, he, he calls it in his book. He calls it the Truscott hangover because he says that because of this sort of like handling. Yeah. The mishandling, but this sort of like undercurrent of people believing that the case wasn't handled properly. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of scared a lot of people into like diving in headfirst into certain cases. Like I have this theory and I'm going to run with that and I'm going to go after this and whatever, because because people felt like this, like that's what happened with the Trescott case yeah. and they didn't believe it, it It was correct. Yeah. So it's it's hard to track things like that. I think this is just, these are his theories. Yeah. 
behind they maybe, seem pretty plausible though like yeah behind maybe themes and everything and he talks about how dennis alsop who has mentioned a lot in in a few of the books that that i've read and that you have read about these cases that happened in london dennis alsop is a very very main figure yeah um he was like the main detective. He worked for the OPP, which is the Ontario Provincial Police. But depending on jurisdictions and everything, he worked a lot of the, L- the London murder cases. Right. And becomes a very prominent like figure in that storyline. And he was just starting out in the police force when the Truscott case was happening. Hmm. So I he see. was not involved directly, but he kind of bore witness to it yeah but he was like too i can't remember i don't know the the ranks and everything yeah, like i think he was fresh. like kind of like just at the bottom of the yeah. totem pole when this was happening because it yeah. was 1959 and then worked for a few years more and then got promoted and right. then started working near london and everything so i think i think it just had a had an effect on a lot of people in yeah. the police force and how you should go about handling an investigation i think it just made people timid in a way mm-hmm and that's at least that's just what Mar- Michael Arnfield is implying. So yeah. it it's a plausible theory. Um, but he does also talk about how now we have a lot more knowledge on criminal behavior analysis surrounding primary and attack paraphilias and mm-hmm. preparatory paraphilias that we've talked about before, yes. which is sort of, sort of like quote unquote like warning signs precursors like that can be and that can evolve and get worse yeah. over time and get more aggressive so he says we can kind of retrospectively look back at people in the area at the time that would have made much better suspects than yeah. Stephen Trescott did that again were not followed and were not yeah that were just no fingers were pointed or anything ignored weren't even explored as a suspect yeah so he If you go and read Murder City, which I obviously would highly recommend, I think it's a great book. He has specific people that by name that he thinks are suspects in this case. Hmm. I don't know exactly where they are now. I think some of them, again, are probably dead. Yeah, it's been a long time. He just talks about how there were predators in the area. There were people who had criminal histories that imply they definitely could have done this crime yeah or they fit the profile yes absolutely so that's upsetting too because there were people that just seemed much more obvious when you read his book and you're like how did this guy not even get interviewed yeah that's ridiculous to me and they were just like nope that 14 year old kid did it yeah i know he did because she was riding on his fucking bicycle yeah and it's like and they were friends they were also like Stephen Trescott and Lynn Harper were friends they were really good friends it's not like he was just some neighborhood boy that like whatever this is a town of 3,000 people and they were two years apart they went to school together you don't just like wake up one day and decide to like murder and sexually assault one of your closest friends like that normally there's warning signs and it didn't sound like there was a lot of people coming forward being like yeah I saw this coming for years like exactly no like yeah Yeah. So un- unfortunately, that's that's where that's where it all lies. It's mm. Stephen Trescott, in my eyes, is is exonerated, but Lynn yeah. Harper, her case is still cold. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, like and, really I, and sad. I'm ass- I'm assuming it's an ongoing investigation. I mean, that's kind of what you can't close it until it's no. How well, how know. could you can't close it until it's closed? Yeah, and so then there needs to be answers. It definitely for it to be hasn't been solved. So that's one of those things where I'm sure if you ask the police, they're probably like, oh, it's an ongoing investigation. Like we're always welcoming information. But 
We're not actively seeking it. Do I think that it. they're really, yeah. really putting a lot of time and effort into investigating a case that's over 50 years old? Like they probably don't have the resources. No. So who knows? But I hope it gets solved one day. I hope so. That would be incredible. Yeah. It really would. But it, w- it would also give a lot of hope to like other open cases that have been open for equal lengths of time mm-hmm. that are still just sitting unsolved. Like I feel like whenever one unsolved case that's been sitting there for years gets solved, it like gives hope to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe this case will get solved too. And yeah. Especially when it's like a cold case of one murder. Like I know this, the Golden State Killer was like 40 something years on, which is amazing that they caught him after yeah. that long. Like good on you. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, but there's like more to work with. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately. Unfortunately to say when there's more victims, there's more witnesses, there's yeah. more evidence. Like there is a lot more to work there's with. There's more for trail, sure. like everything. It's- when it's, and there's more pressure again on the police to yeah. solve something that's like the golden state killer had i think I like something around 20 murder victims and 40 to 50 sexual assault victims that's something insane. like that like that's a lot so yeah. they're sort of like if we catch this guy that's a huge win because that's a huge media win yeah right that's something that the media is going to continue to make documentaries about and this and that yeah. and whatever and unfortunately this poor little girl from clinton ontario isn't going to get that kind of media attention no. so it's it's not as big of a win for them no but it's it's something that it should be it should it, be a win it should be like, a priority it's yeah. just especially because they screwed it up so bad in the beginning yeah. i feel like you it's have a just, duty to yeah fix it yeah to you, you just owe that to this little girl it's yeah. so sad and and honestly to Stephen trescott because that was his friend he probably wants the real killer caught too. oh of course yeah of course yeah it's just Wow, that's a shitty one all yeah. around. I know. I know. Like, I, was, I mean, you did great, oh, but thanks. it's shitty. It's <laughs> shitty. <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's sad. And it, it is yeah. it's something I wanted to cover because it is one of those things that seems yeah. like my parents' generation, especially, that everybody knows about this case. Yeah. I've that never everyone heard, heard about it. it. Yeah. And of course, I mean, um, he was exonerated in, what did I say, 2007? So we were around. So we were around. I mean, I would have been. 12 or we would have been 13 babies. at the time yeah <laughs> but my dad probably would have seen that on the news and been like oh so he was finally yeah acquitted that's yeah. some kind of resolution in not one way i yeah. think i said exonerated before but but would have yeah. seen that it would have been a big deal because again yeah it was such a big deal back then and there is a very similar murder that happened in london just before this oh. of a girl of a similar age that they never found the guy Okay, so maybe it's connected. So who knows? It could be. Oh, that's why like sometimes yeah. like I just I need these things solved because it's like it might not just be a one off. It might be connected. It might be somebody that's oh, going around yeah. county to county. And I'd be willing to say that whoever did this to Lynn Harper has done it before, has probably done something at least similar before. Maybe yeah. there's a chance that's his only murder, but it's definitely not his only sexual assault. Yeah. I, I know I said this with like the John Bonet case, but it's like, it's, it's really rare for someone to murder for the very first time ever and get away with it for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah in their case, 25 years, but like, it's just, yeah. it's that, that math just like doesn't add up with like and the statistics that are out there. Like it's next to impossible to just get away with it for that long and like never have the finger pointed at you. And I feel like someone who has committed her 
to me, I don't have any basis. I'm not like an expert or anything. Just whatever. I got to cover my ass. Um, (laughs) I feel like if it's an accident or some sort of crime of passion or something like that, Mm -hmm. that to me makes sense that it's a one-off. But if it's some sort of something that indicates that it might be a sexual sadist of sorts or something like that, I don't believe that they're urges are going to be satisfied with that one crime. I I can almost I definitively probably, say it would not be. And it would probably make their urges stronger. Yeah. That we have kind of yeah. talked about a bit and that's not Yeah. I, I don't know for sure. I'm just saying it seems it would be strange to me if it I found out that this person one day was extremely rare. Yeah, and that was the was. only thing that they had ever done and then they just went on and lived a re- like a regular life and never did anything to anyone it else again. It just wouldn't happen. I don't think that's likely. I so you're just, right. They're definitely if someone actually really looked in like dove deep into this case, they could probably find other potential victims. Yeah. And that could I help so. find the person who did it. And even if they're dead, I don't you care. Know what? You Let's dig them up it. and we'll freaking spit on their bones let's fucking do it i i actually would like i, I would go would as far to literally just like take a big old probably poop like pop on them squat. yeah, yeah. <laughs> squat. i love how we both go straight to the most like disgusting thing well, yeah just shit, oh, all shit on your them. grave i will i'll do it <laughs> why don't we just start investigating you know i guess we can't really be fbi agents because it's a whole like you know trespassing on like train tracks thing but honestly when i was a teenager i was like oh, i really want to be a detective i feel like that would be cool but i didn't want to be a police officer and that's the thing is you know that's, that's the, <laughs> literally i'm pretty sure i had this conversation with drew like a couple weeks ago we were just like oh wouldn't it just be like kind of cool <laughs> to like yeah. do it because like clearly like we'll sit here and we'll be like oh i've solved the whole thing like <laughs> but i realized i don't want to have to be a cop first because like don't no. you have to be a cop yes. first yes. i'm not doing that. That's why they call nothing them like, against police. That's why just, they call them like plain clothes detectives because you've worn a uniform first and then and then now you're you've been promoted to you get to wear you jeans. have to be like a beat cop first. <laughs> I don't want to do that though. I, I don't, just don't no, want that. I just want to be like essentially I want to be Sherlock Holmes. I just want them to be like, <laughs> man, she's so good she gets to skip all the steps. Yes, that's, I know. That's just I all know. I want. Is that really too much to ask? I, I feel like I'm not asking for that. Know, much. Guys, let it like, <laughs> like let us know. Can like, someone just email us and be like, look, there's actually a job that you can do that's like that I don't know. See, I've thought about it with like speech language pathology where I'm like, is there some way I can get into like investigating? Can I be like an expert speech language pathologist witness for something? Like, I don't know. You know I, I don't even know what, but something. I'm like, can I, can I de- create a field of yeah. language pathology? Yes, you can. In forensic science. I believe in you. I know that people are probably screaming like just like that's a linguist, but that's <laughs> – See, I wasn't even. I'm just like, yeah, create your own. You got well, this. I think that there's some way that you, I'm sure that there's like one Something. person on the planet that's been an expert witness. That's the linguist or a speech pathologist. But I oh, don't think oh, it's, certainly. I don't think it's common. <laughs> you should do it. Just like, but yeah, I yeah, yeah. Super cool. Ugh. Well, I guess we're gonna start creating some new jobs because, like, that I just want to really like fun. meld all of my interests together. I know. and see, that's and what then, I'm trying to do with my seven money, different- and then get paid for it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to do with all my different interests. I'm like, I'm just gonna do all of them, and then everyone's like, "Well, how do you do it all?" I'm like, "By just doing all of them." <laughs> when people are like, "How do you do it?" I'm like, "I just do them all," <laughs> and then cry <laughs> after when I'm tired. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. That was good. That was shitty. It was good. Thank you. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. That is very sad. I think any case that involves like children. It's always, yeah, it's always a little bit. It just hits you harder. Yeah. 
Especially when it's like a child was the victim and then also and a also, child was convicted. Like that's. Yeah. I'm just so glad he didn't get hung. Like, holy shit. Oh my gosh. I know. Right. Like, can you imagine if I was like, and then he was hung and then that's it. I honestly, I feel like, I feel like had that happened, like we wouldn't be doing this case. No, it would I wouldn't just have. Be like, that would have been way too depressing. Yeah. Like, and I love my depressing stuff. I do. I, I really do. But I don't know if I can handle no. being like, yeah. And then he was hung. No, <laughs> no. We like, can. Well, that's a baby though. Like you just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can find solace in the fact that he was not and that he at least. He's still alive today? He, Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think so. He's okay. got to be really old now. <laughs> oh, like He's got to go, be like in his 70s now. I can't I mean, do math. but 14 like, and 1959. You do the math. I can't. I just can't do math. She's thinking. She's oh, thinking. I'm like, her face I'm, is thinking so hard so you can see it. Hard. Like you can see the math happening on I'm, her face. I'm first just trying to figure out how long ago <laughs> 1959 was. And you know That's somebody's listening six, right now, like D three years plus. What 14. did you say? How many years? D three. So he years? would be seventy seven right now, I think. Okay. Seventy six or seventy seven, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm just he's, gonna trust he's you. probably still alive. Then I'm just I'm just assuming if I was like, oh, he's uh would be 104 today. Then no, <laughs> see my math, I'm like he's 342. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I believe he is still alive today, and I really, I truly hope there isn't anyone out there who still believes that he did that crime. But no, I, I feel like it's pretty obvious that no, just I feel like it's obvious. But again, if we ever come across cases that do stomach content analysis, I'm just gonna lose my shit. Like they all not do that, it, not but they that, get that way they, on If it, you like, base an entire case off of it, like an entire case, like it's just yeah. I also think about like what someone would uncover if they did stomach content analysis on my stomach on certain days. That is days. my fucking fear. On certain days. Like, Okay, so she ate three olives, um, <laughs> eight eggs, uh, she ate pineapple, she ate crackers, she ate shrimp. You she, must she have ate diarrhea. Cheese. Like I don't <laughs> like, sometimes I just go in the kitchen, I just grab something. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, I'm not I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry enough for a meal. So I'm just gonna have a handful of crackers, or uh, I'm just gonna open a jar of pickles and eat some. See, you I, know, I, I, I have that same <laughs> thought every night when I get into my my snack a lack of ding dong face. <laughs> because I you know when okay, you know when you want both a salty and a sweet thing but you don't want a salty sweet thing together yes I know so exactly you're like about. well now i'm gonna have to have two different snacks which one do i have first the salty or the sweet i i then end up having like multiple of each mm -hmm. so like those are the times where i'm like oh my god if i died and they just like tested the contents of my stomach right now they'd be like she had craft dinner and then she had ice cream but then she went back for a grilled cheese what is happening mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh, and then yeah. she had cinnamon toast crunch right after that what is going on i do no i do that too where i'm like oh i, I want alternate. something salty i'll have like cheese and crackers and then i'm like no i want something sweet i'll have like a piece of chocolate and then i'm like oh i want something salty and i'll have like a pickle or some olives and then i want something sweet yeah. again i have a cupcake and it's like but the combination is fucked i know and that's what i mean <laughs> someone would be like did she fucked. eat pickles with the cupcake or did yeah. she because it all feels really close together because <laughs> <laughs> it's all within a span of five minutes i'm not sure if she's okay or if this is what yeah. killed her <laughs> yeah that's that's what they would obviously conclude is that yeah my it did yeah snack variety olives don't mix with cupcakes you just don't <laughs> Uh, well, no, we we should wrap this up before mm. I get too hungry again. Oh, starving. We can't we can't do that anyways. Actually, I, should we just go eat right now? <laughs> yeah, bye.
Okay, bye. Eating. Not even going to do closing <laughs> notes. Okay, bye. <laughs> so, yeah, sign up to be super cool and join our cult of extremely awesome people who love true crime at www.patreon.com slash how to not get killed. Oh, she's not even ready, guys. <laughs> And if you ever want to chat and connect with us, you can send us an email too. Get killed at gmail.com. You do me now. You do me. Oh, she's still looking. And, or you can DM us or comment on our posts on Instagram at how to not get killed. Do this one too. This is you. And you can follow us on Twitter at H2NGK. And you can also check out our website and shop our merch at www.howtonotgetkilled.com and you know what I rallied in the end back <laughs> you know what thank you for putting up with us everybody <laughs> Haley sucks no, love you all okay keep it sleazy okay bye see you later bye.